you, Holy Spirit, unless you are illuminating the Word, unless you are revealing your heart, making the Word come alive, Lord, it's nothing more than just hearing you talk for a little while. I don't want to go that is absolutely what I don't want. I want you to be seen, you to be exalted, you to be lifted up, so that our hearts would be um, touched in a, in a very real way, Lord God. So we ask that you come in Jesus' name. Everyone say, Amen. And so we've been in this series called the Parables of Jesus. Um, I'll actually be finishing up next week. We're not looking at all of the parables of Jesus. That would take some time. But I, I picked several parables that have spoken to me, have ministered to me. Um, the story that Jesus told while he was on the earth, uh, that he came in and, uh, of course, we understand that he was born, became one of us, grew up, and during this three-year period of, of time in his ministry from age 30 to when he died on the cross in 33, he called disciples, called followers, and he was ushering in a new kingdom. And a lot of his teachings, and he would teach the parables and stories and these illustrations to try to reveal the kingdom of God, the truth of the kingdom, the truth of who he is, who God is, what the kingdom of God is, um, even reverting back to like telling the Jews that you know the things that you did before, the things that you did thousands of years ago have been pointing to the reality of Christ, the reality of his kingdom, the reality of the gospel. It's always been God's plan to redeem humanity. Isn't that good? That even though sin came into the world and there was a separation between God and man, God had a plan to restore and redeem us and win us back. That makes me excited. Hope you guys are excited too. And so he told these stories to reveal the kingdom. Aren't you glad that we live in a kingdom that cannot be shaken? That we live in a kingdom that Jesus says that my kingdom is not of this world, it is an eternal kingdom. And we are told in Scripture that everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so that which cannot be shaken will remain. And a lot of times in our world, individually or family, sometimes we go through shaking times, circumstances of life that are very hard, and Jesus says, hold on, don't lose heart, because my kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And if you're with me, you don't have to fear, you don't have to worry, but you live in a kingdom that is eternal. And I'm so thankful that although we look in our world and we see shaking and although that we may endure times of shaking, that we can always look to Christ and say, thank you that we live in your kingdom that is unshakable. And if that's all we have to hang on to, that's enough. That his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It's not a Republican kingdom. It's not a Democrat kingdom. Come on, I'm going to get political for just a few minutes. Our hope is not in the things of this world. Our hope is in the name of a every name, Jesus Christ. All right. I, I, didn't, even, I, I didn't even plan to say that, so that, that's all for you. Um, last few weeks, uh, we've been in, uh, we were in Luke 15. We were talking about the prophet son of the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin. Last week, we looked at the parable of the sower, a very famous story that Jesus told about the soil of our hearts. And we become seed spreaders. We become people that advance the kingdom and spread the good news of the kingdom wherever we go. And to ask the Lord to help us to be fertile soil, that we would be soil that would produce fruit in our lives and to see the kingdom of God advance and grow in others. 
And we're going to say today, we're going to stay in Matthew 13, and we're actually going to look at two parables. These are the two shortest parables that Jesus tells. He gives these illustrations, he's giving these teachings. I've entitled this The Value of the Kingdom. And we're, so we're in a few moments, we're going to be in Matthew 13, and we'll take a look at that in just a moment, not quite yet. Do we have any treasure hunters here? People that love to hunt treasure. Come on, be honest. People are like, you know, I don't know. Because yeah, um, you know, treasure is an interesting thing. Um, there are some that just kind of stumble up on treasure, right? You hear those stories. We've all heard them, right? There was, uh, there was one story that I heard. This lady had a painting in her house, and she was having some sort of get-together or party, and so there were some people that she didn't know that were there. And this guy looked at her wall, and he, he, this guy is into art and uh, knows art pretty well, and he said... Um, I take a look at that painting there, and uh, she said, sure. And he said, you know, what's the story on this? And she said, I bought it at a yard sale for $10. He said, that's interesting. He said, because I, I think it looks like a city college painting. And city college is, not that I, I just researched this. I don't, don't think that I know art at all. Yeah. You guys are really impressed. Wow, he's really good. That's, do not be impressed at all with that. Um, so this guy knows art. He looks back, they find out it is a... It is an original Sydney Pollock painting that had a value of $250,000. And whenever you hear that, don't you wish that that stuff would happen to you? Why can't I find a $10 painting at a yard sale? People stumble up on it. I had a friend uh, in Georgia, his name is Arthur, and this guy grew up, his dad was quite wealthy, but Arthur grew up and he didn't know sports that well. He was not uh, into sports at all. He liked music and different things. And, but he remembers his dad, and he was telling us this story. He knew about it then. But he said, he said when he was about 10 years old, his dad takes him to a Yankees game. You know, and he just like, you know, and, and whatever. You know, it, it was kind of cool to be there, I guess. But I didn't really know much about it. And he said, you know, and then they went down, and some guy signed this ball and whatever. And, they, and he said, it ended up kind of going around with me. It was in my Jeep for a while. And then finally... He's talking to these guys, and these guys are a couple of them are collectors of like baseball cards and you know and autographs and those things that are worth. And he's like, "Hey, when I was a kid, he said I went to this game and these some of these guys signed the, the ball." And they go, "Really?" And he said, so "Let me see the ball." And among the signatures was Mickey Mantle. And if you know anything about baseball, of course, I do. I can say I know a little bit about that. The art part, no, no. Um, among other, it was a part of that World Series Yankees team with Mickey Mantle. And this guy goes, you've got to be kidding. He said, do you know what this ball is worth? And he said, I have no idea. It's been rolling around in my Jeep for like a year. The guy goes, take it out of your Jeep and put it in something. And, uh, that, and, it was, and I don't remember exactly what it was worth, but it was worth quite a bit. And so he's like, you know, now I have it locked up in a safe and I'm like scared to even have it in my possession anymore. Yeah. Um, the treasure, and some people just stumble upon it. Other people search it out. If you like those shows, you know, those shows where they go and the American Pickers, anybody ever seen that kind of stuff? You know, admit it, you like it. Um, where they look, you know, a lot of are looking for stuff of value. And a lot of those guys, they kind of know what they're looking for and they are, they seek it out. 
And then, uh, you know, obviously the fun part of that is if they see something of value, you know, they're trying to get a good deal because they know that they can basically flip that thing and sell it and get a big price for that. And so it's kind of fun to watch that happen. And so you have some folks that are, they are speakers of pleasure. And so Jesus tells us this story because nothing is new. We're all, we're all like that. We either want that to happen to us that we like stumble upon it or we want to, we're, we're speaking it out. And Jesus tells us these stories about the value of the kingdom of God, the value of salvation, the value of the gospel. And so as we kind of think about that, uh, um, this, this, this idea of, 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 a, of the treasure that Jesus, the treasure of his kingdom, this kingdom that is, again, the gospel, the goodness of salvation, the kingdom that brings us peace, joy, and eternal life. And sometimes I think in my own heart, I, you know, that I, that I can be driven by apathy or comfort. Anybody else guilty of that? Maybe we've heard this stuff a thousand times, we grew up with it, and we can forget the preciousness and the value of who Jesus is and the value of his kingdom. And in these two stories, he is pressing the issue in our hearts that we would understand the value of who he is and what his kingdom is. In my own heart, as I say, God, help me. I don't want to lose sight of how precious your kingdom is, how precious my relationship is with Christ. But I know in times here that I'm driven by my own comfort, my own apathy, and I forget. And so Jesus tells the story to remind us today, and that's what he's speaking to us. So let's look at this, let's look at this parable, these two parables, back to back, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in fields. When a man found it, and this is the picture of somebody stumbling upon something, right? And the man found it, he came upon it. He realized what he has, and then for joy he went out and sold all that he had to buy the field so he could have the treasure. And Jesus said to the kingdom of God, I want the thing, I want the kingdom to be this precious to you. And then he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Here's the difference between stumbling upon, and here we have a, a merchant that's looking for it. He's a treasure hunter. He's looking for pearls. And then he finds one. He found one of great value. What did he do? What was his response to finding this treasure? He went out. He sold everything and he bought it. Sold everything and he bought it. So Jesus is telling two stories about two men absolutely committed to possessing something of great worth. Okay? One sells everything so he can possess his treasure that he finds in the field. The other cashes in all of his belongings, everything that he has so he can have this spectacular pearl because he's a pearl merchant. And it's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. And here's what Jesus says. He said, that's what the kingdom of heaven that, I want that to be the gospel in your heart. I want that to be salvation, the understanding of the good news of who I am, my kingdom. I want that to be the value that you possess in your heart. And just like those two men who were willing to give up everything that they own so they could possess the treasure, they could possess this pearl. He said, I want your commitment to me to be greater than your commitment to anything on the earth. Anything. 
in comparison with Him, it should be the greatest value and treasure in your life. And here's the revelation that they had, okay? And this is the way, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for all of us, is we're going to zone in on this idea that, here's the idea, they realize the value of what they have, right? Do you realize the value of what you have in Jesus? Do you realize the treasure of His kingdom, the treasure of the life that He gives us? Do you understand what we have in Him? Because both, both these stories, it's about discovery, right? One discovers this treasure hidden in a field, the other man discovers a pearl of great worth. And it is interesting that Jesus is teaching that different people discover the truth about Christ, the truth about the kingdom in different ways, right? So in the first one, again, this guy stumbles upon the treasure. And then the opposite of what happens with the pearl is that we find this merchant who is speaking, he's a treasure speaker. I think this is how it is with the kingdom, this is how it is with salvation. Some have no intention of following Jesus. They aren't thinking about God. They maybe don't really care about what anything that is just kind of taking care of their own life or minding their own business. And boom, Jesus gets a hold of them in some way. Something happens in their life. The truth of who Jesus hits them. Sometimes it is through circumstances. Sometimes it's I come to the end of myself. Sometimes it's a revelation, and it. This is who Jesus is. This is what salvation means. And, and, and I'm overwhelmed and I have found this treasure of Christ. They weren't looking for Jesus, but they found him because he was looking for them. We should pray for people like that. We should pray that people find Christ in very supernatural ways, the work of the Holy Spirit, that it, their heart would come alive, that they would... They would see other things as emptiness. They would see other things as, this doesn't satisfy. This doesn't help me. This is not the contentment and the peace and the joy I'm looking for because people are searching for that. The other parable reveals a difference in how this person found this treasure and people find Jesus differently. There's a spiritual longing and, and thirsty. This is where you might see people that are, maybe they're searching other religions. They are reading about it, they're, they're, they're in a diligent search for something in their hearts, and they are being very intentional about it. They are searching for a treasure, something authentic. Again, maybe other religions, philosophies, or different things to bring peace and joy and contentment. Then they find the treasure of Jesus. They realize that He is the one they have been looking for the whole time. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm talking about those who are, they are authentically looking for truth. Because I believe if you're genuinely seeking truth, you will always run into Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. And people that are on an honest search for truth will find Christ. So we all have different stories. Maybe you're here today and you're far away from God. You don't know God and maybe you are... You know, this is just kind of a, maybe a different for you. Maybe you're not walking with God again. And, 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 but the Lord knows He knew you were going to be here today. This could be a moment for you that you say, I realize the treasure of who Christ is, and I want to give my life to Him. So all of us have different stories. So 
Some are born into Christian families. Some hear the truth from Christian friends, and somebody tells them. Some people, again, it's in circumstances, and they find Christ alone through searching. Some find Him in hardship and trials, but it, it doesn't matter. That, that the point is, absolute commitment to Christ can't happen unless you discover the treasure that He is. You realize the value of what you have. You see His Word. You see His Word. But finding the treasure is only the first step, right? It's not enough just to simply discover Him or realize His value. There is an active commitment that comes with realizing His Word. In each story, the two men, again, they realize the Word. They realize the Word. And it drives them to action. They are willing to do something incredibly radical about it. And I wonder, again, in our own hearts, do we recognize, and that's the first part of this whole thing, do we recognize the value and the Christlessness of Jesus? Do we understand the value? Because I think sometimes we can just miss it. I've missed it so many times in my own life. And the religious people of the day, Jesus was trying to get their attention too, but here they had, again, studied all the prophecies. All the prophets had spoken about the coming Messiah. And there is Jesus, right there in front of them. He's sitting with them, and they don't perceive Him. And they don't understand the treasure that's sitting in front of them. God help us to realize the worth of Christ. So a life of this surrender to Jesus, these two guys, the picture that they sold all, it doesn't, it doesn't happen just because we discover the truth about Jesus. Many people can, they understand, they read about Jesus, or they know, oh yeah, he's a savior, born a Christian, died at, at uh, you know, Good Friday, rose at Easter, and we can give you little facts about Christ and just having, not had knowledge, but surrender comes is when we understand that he is worth more than anything that I have, and I have to have him in my life. Because it's easy for us to value other things in this life if we don't get the revelation of the worth of Jesus, the value of Jesus. Sometimes we look and we value the approval of others. What do other people think about me? I want to impress other people. And I get my validation by trying to impress other people. That's what I live for. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't value what other things of you. But when that drives you, that's the motivating factor in your life. And you value that. You value physical beauty or strength. You value money and riches and status and esteem and power and materialism. And those become the driving force of your life and you're motivated by them and you're driven by them and there's this intrinsic value in your heart after them and you miss on who Jesus is. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong to have things. But are they the driving force in your life? Busyness, activity, stuff that competes with my heart, stuff that competes with me worshiping God, stuff that competes with me coming to corporately worship together with the family of God. And we said, well, if I have time for that. Well, if it works in my schedule, I will, but what is our 
value? Do we understand the intrinsic value of Christ? Just like the lady that realized that she had the painting. You know, she don't walk away and go, ah, okay, whatever. I'll get around. You begin to, there's a, there, there's a care to this. There's an understanding of what I have in my possession. So why do those things become so valuable? where they begin to dictate our lives, what happens. Again, it's when we forget the value of who Jesus is. And so the cure for all this is to get a new realization, a new revelation of the worth of Christ, the worth of Jesus in our hearts, to be reminded through the power of the Holy Spirit of who Jesus is, what He's done for us personally the truth of Jesus and His kingdom, how valuable He really is. So here's a couple of truths about the kingdom of, of Christ and, and, and Jesus Himself. Number one, Jesus and the kingdom of God are Christless. They are Christless. Have we heard the gospel message so much that it has made us immune to what it means to us? And I, I can stand, I stand guilty today that I've done that. That I forget what it means to me, the value, that it brings forgiveness to all my sins. That before Jesus, when I appease my Savior, my guilt, my shame, my past is washed away. He has made me a new creation in Him. What's the value of that? All the wrong I've done has been paid for. My guilt is washed away. My condemnation is washed away. I don't have to pay for my own sins. Every one of us, no, there's no exemptions. Every one of us, we deserve eternal punishment in hell. I know that's not good news. But the good news is that Jesus purchased our salvation. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? That, that without Him, I, am, I have no chance. I have no hope eternally. Do we really believe that? Are we really convinced or is it just something that we've heard and we forget the value of eternal life? That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. All in the Greek means all. Please flip, right? Everybody, we, we've fallen short, and so when we've fallen short, what's the payment of that? Romans 6, Paul tells us that we deserve death, eternal death, separation. We deserve it. We're not basically good. I don't care what culture says. I don't, want, I don't care what humanism says. We're not basically good. And a lot of what we're hearing in culture is that we, everybody just needs to tap into their own goodness. No, our, if we tap into our own goodness, we still fall short. If we could somehow tap into goodness, and that was the answer, there would be no need of the cross of Christ. We would not need Him to die on the cross. We would just be able to say, here's the, here's, the Bible would be very short. Tap into your own goodness. Amen. I like the dramatic We're not good. We need Jesus. We need the Christ that He paid for us. And when you think about it, do you understand that? Do you believe that? 
Jesus rescued us. In Christ, we get forgiveness. We get not only forgiveness of sins, but we get eternity. What's that worth to you? Eternity in heaven. A place that He's preparing for you that belongs to Him. What's that worth to you? Can you put a dollar price on that? Can somebody trade you for that? Just like when people find a treasure, you can't trade them. It's not for sale unless you're flipping it and getting some money. But what's it worth to you? Do you believe what Paul says? The Bible says this. This is every single one of us. Every single one of us. We're going to stand before Christ. You will give an account before Jesus. You will stand with all along, just you and Him. And He's going to look and He's going to penetrate through your soul. He's going to know everything that you've ever done. And you will stand and give an account to Him. He will be the eternal judge, the righteous judge, the true judge, not the unfair one. And He's going to judge you by whether you surrendered your life and accepted the gift of salvation and the cross and the sacrifice, or you did not. There's no, there's no middle ground. You're not going to impress them with your goodness. You're not going to impress them with your morality. You're not going to say, I was basically a good person. It will not work. But we will stand before it. And we're told in Scripture, and you can, today you can wrestle with that and say, oh, well, I don't really believe that it's going to happen. And that, that's fine for you to believe. The Bible tells us that we will stand before Him and we will give an account. Do you really believe that? And if you really believe that, then what is the worth of salvation to you? What is the worth to you? In Luke 7, Jesus tells a story, or we're told a story about a lady that comes into this house, and there are some religious people there. She is known to be an immoral woman. And it says that she comes to Jesus, she falls at his feet, she's weeping. She begins to, uh, you know, that, that day what a servant would do is, you know, they would wash people's feet. Well, she comes in, obviously she doesn't belong in that house, but she begins to cry. She begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. She takes this alabaster jar of perfume that is worth probably maybe a year's wages. Take what you make in a year. She has it in there. It's probably, you know, something that she's saving. I don't know what, what the deal is, but she bursts it open and she pours it over Jesus in this act of surrender and like seemingly like this is wasteful. What are you doing? And she's weeping. Tears of joy, tears of love. The Pharisees are like, if he knew what kind of woman this was, that type of woman, that, if he, if he, if he would tell her to stop doing that. The disciples say, oh man, that, could have, that money could have been used for something great. She's wasted all that money. And Jesus says, leave her alone. She understands something here. She has gotten a, revel a revelation of the value of salvation. And then he tells a parable there. He said, two people owe a great debt. One owes a large, large, large amount of money. The other only owes a small amount of money. And the person that's in charge of both debts forgives both debts. He said, who do you think is going to be more thankful? And they're like, well, obviously the one who had the greater debt, right? Here's the thing. I've looked at that story before, and, and, and I, I think I've misread it, because a lot of times we, we, we use it to compare our sins towards someone else. Well, 
because he thinks he's been forgiven much. But his point was, and if you look across the Gospels and look across Scripture and what he says to the religious, he said, I call those who know they're sinners to salvation, not those who think they are righteous. Because he says, what has happened is, what is this lady doing? He realizes the value and worth of who he is in his kingdom and, and what forgiveness and eternal life are all about. You guys don't realize it because you think, I don't know that much. And compared to other people, remember the guy, the two guys that were in the temple praying, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee goes, at least I'm not like that guy. And he compared himself. And he made himself look righteous before God. And then the other guy just said, Lord, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, that guy, that guy went away justified that day. Because here's what I think Jesus is saying in Luke 7, is that you all owe a debt you cannot pay. She just happened to realize it. And she's willing to lay out everything and say, I will worship you, I will give everything to you, I will give you my life, my heart, because I understand the value of forgiveness. God, help us to be like her. You're worth more than anything. You're worth more than this. your savings. You're worth more than anything on this earth. You are worth more than... And she was gracious and she weeping and saying, God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for who you are. When I surrender my life to Christ, I get His grace. I get His mercy. I get His peace. I get His joy. I get His love in the place of guilt in the place of shame, in the place of condemnation, depression, anxiety, and judgment. What is that worth to you? What is it worth? In Christ, we get adopted into God's family. Because of Jesus, God Himself becomes your Father. And we're in right relationship with Him because of Christ. Through faith, you become His son and His daughter. What is that worth to you? What's it worth? He gives us meaning in our life. He gives us security and strength and comfort. He gives you a future in a world that never ends. He gives you a, a kingdom of light instead of a place of darkness. He gives you life instead of death. What is that worth to you? We talk about sacrifices that we make for Jesus. You know, oh, you got to follow Christ and He's, he's calling us for everything and not like that. Here's what we all need to see in the, the parables. There's no sacrifice at all between these two people. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, his joy, he went out and sold everything to buy the field so I could have the treasure. In joy, he didn't look at it as this massive, huge sacrifice and this, oh, I just got to bear the weight of being a Christian. He's like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever, and enjoy, I will sell everything, enjoy, I will get rid of everything to have it. Because the second thing is this, in the truth of Jesus and His kingdom. Let's go to the second one. He demands a personal response to surrender. We can't just think it's a good idea and a neat idea that He's done that for it. It demands a response to surrender. The key to gaining Jesus and His kingdom is radical. It is a radical surrender. It's completely counterculture. In these parables, we are told that both of these men, when they got the revelation and the realization of the value of the treasure, they sold everything to obtain them. I will get rid of everything to get you. 
And it wasn't, like I said, a begrudging giving up of all they had, but of joy. But it begins with realization of how valuable the treasure is. And I believe that when we get that, when we understand the value of Jesus, the price that He paid for us, the value of His kingdom, we would want nothing more than to give up everything for Him, to completely surrender to Him. Again, if you're holding back, if church and your worship and your relationship with Christ has become this kind of ho-hum thing that you do that's about four or five down on your priority level, and if I get around to it, okay, and yeah, this is just kind of something that I kind of walk through the motions and there's no real intrinsic value. We need to check our hearts. We need to check our hearts. And I'm asking God to check my own heart too. We need a fresh revelation of the value of Jesus in our hearts. Because that's what will help us follow and surrender with complete joy. Because how, how is it possible for someone to give up everything they possess with laughter and joy? It seems almost maniacal, doesn't it? Ah, I just give it away. You know, it's like that guy is lost his mind. What, what happened? Sometimes we can make it seem that we are giving up so much of value to follow Jesus and that it's so hard, and I think we've gotten it wrong. Because what happens is they understand the value of Him that nothing that I have, nothing that I have ever had, or will ever have in this life compares to who He is and what I have in Him. In other words, that we see the trade. That it's very easy to surrender when I understand what I get. It's like driving around a little Pinto for some of you folks at seven. Remember the Pinto? It's a beautiful car, wasn't it? You see a lot of them riding around today. <laughs> Don't hit the rear end. Remember that? Kaboom! Um, only older people get that. Um, there was a problem with Pinto that you had in the rear end, they would explode. So, um, sometimes, if you didn't want to be in that kind of light. I don't know, it might or might not. Just don't hit me in the rear end. But it's like travel on, you know, it'll get you around most of the time. You can get you And the Lord is saying, I want to trade you that for a Rolls Royce. It's not that you are all of a sudden going to be deep in despair that you're not going to have a Pinto anymore. Oh man, I can't believe what I'm giving up. This is so. You would dip that thing in a second. And there's this trade, and I know that's a little bit of a crude analogy, but Jesus is saying if you understand what you're getting, you will give up and say, nothing is worth more than you. And I give you my whole heart. It takes, there's a radical response to getting and understanding. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, He said to them all, whoever, 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 who qualifies for that? Get your hand up. It's whoever. And I'm like, I'm not sure. Yeah, whoever. You're a whoever. Whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, what does he say? Must deny himself, take up their cross daily and follow me. Every day we need to take up our cross. And that's not the cross that Jesus took up. That's our own cross saying, I want to say no to my flesh. I want to say no to my being selfish. I want to say no to me being in charge. He says this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. He's talking about the exchange. If you give up your life for me, you will gain so much more. It will cost you everything, but it will be the greatest thing that you ever have in your possession. Then again, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their self or their soul? 
What is Jesus saying? He said, there's nothing in this life worth it. There's no materialism. There's no um, power. There's no amount of money. There's no relationship. There is nothing worth losing your soul over. And then he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into his glory and the glory of the Father and the Holy Angels. I tell you what, that is something I do not want to endure. He said, I pushed him away and I was ashamed of him on the earth and that then he pushes me away in the final day. Then look at what Paul says and we're going to wind down here. Love this passage. Now I want you to get a picture of something here. Paul is writing from prison. He's been in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus. And in this letter to the Philippian church, he has been talking about kind of his resume, the things that he's accomplished. You know, I was a Roman citizen. I was a Pharisee of the highest order. I was, he, he, he had some power. He had some wealth. He had some, you know, uh, in, in society and culture, you know, he had a name. And he's writing this from prison because of what he has found. How do you do that? Picture this guy that's chained up in a first century prison. And he's putting his pen to this paper, this parchment. And he's saying these words, I once thought these things, and I, I, I'm not reading all the these things, but these things, that his resume, the things, the powers, the status, if you will. He said, I would think that thought of these things as great value, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. And you can see him maybe shackled in this prison just thinking about what Jesus and he says, here's, here's what I have in Jesus because even this, as bad as the prison is, it's only temporary. Verse 8, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's, he understands the value and worth of Christ. And he says, for his sake, I've discarded everything else. I've counted it all as garbage. I mean, he's, he's saying, I, when I get the value of who Christ is, all of that other stuff is like garbage. Because it doesn't matter how nice anything else is in this life, it's all garbage. And then he says this, I counted all this garbage so that I, what, I could gain Christ. And he's understanding the parables that Jesus told him in the Gospel. He's saying, I found the treasure in Christ. And I've become one with Him. And he said, there's nothing more valuable than that. And then let's relook at the parable again as we close. I'm praying for a revelation for my own heart and for you as well. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, is he this to you? Is your relationship with Christ, is the gospel of Jesus this to you? The kingdom of heaven, salvation, the gospel, it is like a treasure in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in joy he sold all that he had. And he bought that field so he could have his treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, he sold everything, and he bought it. Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of heaven, the gospel, relationship with him, it isn't about losing or suffering or ending up with the sword into the stick. 
The kingdom of heaven, the gospel, is about making the deal of a lifetime. It's the best trade you'll ever make. The kingdom of heaven is about trading heaven, hell for heaven. It's about trading death for life. It's about trading temporary things for eternal riches. It's about trading bondage for freedom. It's about trading shame for joy. It's about trading rejection for acceptance. It's about trading your fear and your emptiness for the love that never disappoints. Jesus and His kingdom are the greatest treasure that you will ever know or ever find. Is it worth that? To you, will you stand with me? God in heaven, we pray today, Lord, I pray, God, that again, unless you give us a revelation, Holy Spirit, unless you awaken our hearts, this will be just another thing that we hear, and we will walk away, and we will forget. God, I pray that that would not be so in Jesus' name today. Lord, I pray, God, that we would see you as a treasure. Jesus, that we would see you as a treasure. That for joy, Lord, that we would sell all that we have in a sense, oh God, that we would give up, we would surrender our lives, we would radically commit to you like never before. Lord, that it would shift our priorities. That God, it wouldn't be a begrudging thing that I have to do, but to work to you and to pray and to read your word would be a joyful thing, is that I get more of you, God, that it wouldn't be a begrudging thing to worship with the family of God on, on Sunday mornings or to get together and to connect with people, but it would be for joy that you are our priority, you are our word. God, thank you for what we get in you, God, I pray that we would never, ever forget the value and the worth of who you are in our hearts. God, I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.